Emmanuel, day spring, desire of the nations. We've been waiting for you, Lord, waiting for this moment to come and worship you. And Father, I thank you that like an expectant mother, we're not diminished by our waiting. We're enlarged, Lord. You're doing something in us, changing us. And I pray, Father, that you who have begun a good work in each of us, in all of us together, Lord, that as you have promised, you will be faithful and you will complete that work in us. And Lord, change is, um, transformation involves some, some painful uh, changing of our lives. But Father, we surrender to you because we were made for you. And Lord, let our waiting today give way to worship and then let our worship give way to work. And may we find ourselves, Lord, joining you in your great work in this world. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you. And Lord, be glorified in our worship today because we do this as unto you. And we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased, that you would receive this offering of our worship as a pleasing fragrance to you, Lord, because we're not just giving you our songs. We're giving you our lives as living sacrifices. Lord, receive our gift and thank you for your unspeakable gift, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Good morning, God is good all the time. So it's great to worship with you today and I wonder what are you waiting for? Find yourself waiting. I've always associated Christmas with waiting since I was very young and waiting for Christmas morning and then receiving an advent calendar and waiting for each day when over in Germany, there's one of the flags I grew up under over there uh, on the wall. Uh, we opened up an advent day every day in, in uh, December and ate a piece of chocolate and I couldn't wait. I mean, I was sometimes I'd get ahead of myself. I'd be on the 23rd with chocolate and it was only the 17th. And, you know, we're like that. It's hard for us to wait. We don't like to wait in line. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't, we don't like to wait. So can I just ask you, what are we waiting for? And I didn't even know that John Mayer was the one who sang this song, but I knew the song. You know the song, I'm still waiting, waiting for the world to change. I'm waiting, over here we know, waiting for the world to change because the world's got to change and we know the world's got to change. And he rails in that song about politics and about poverty and about war. And then he says at the end, this is his conclusion. He says, and one day my generation is going to rule the population. But until then, I'm waiting on the world to change. I was reading a tweet by the president of Houston Baptist this week, Robert Sloan. He was an interim pastor here years ago. And uh, he said, so God is at work in the world and he has called us through the gospel and by his spirit to participate in that. So we're waiting on the world to change, but God is already working for the world to change. And the, the change that the world is waiting for began 2,000 years ago when God came down the staircase of heaven with a baby in his arms. And that was the beginning of the change. And back then they were waiting for the Messiah. And today we're waiting for the second coming because he who came once promises he will come again. And while we're waiting, we might as well work and join God in the work of changing the world. Can I show you in John chapter three, verses 16 to 18, you know, verse 16, you need to know, I need to know, we need to know verse 17. 
and verse 18. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and his word. John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Since I read it to you last week and we've got it there on the screen for you, um, why don't you read it with me today? And you know these verses, but let's just say them together out loud today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So who gets the gift? You ever wonder that when there are new gifts under the tree and sometimes occasionally in our house there'll be a gift under there and there's no name tag on it and then it becomes the mystery of the ages. Whose present is that present? Why doesn't it have a name on it? Is it mine? Is it yours? Whose is it? To whom does it belong? And we saw last week that God so loved the world that he gave this amazing gift, his one and only son. So whose gift is it? And the answer is right there in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So, so what part of the world does God love? Does he love the geography? We're studying a lot of geography in our house these days. Does God just love the geography? Is he impressed with the rivers that his son's finger traced on the earth? Is he, is he impressed with that sort of mounting up of the mountains, you know, and the tectonic plates shifted and, and the, the mountains rose up and all of that bears the fingerprints of God? Is God just, is God just impressed with the world? I, I love that line that we sang earlier, your name is in lights and it's written in the skies. And every night I walk our, our dogs on the bayou. And right now Orion's belt is there. And I learned about Orion when I was in the sixth grade, but I'm pretty sure that up in heaven, they don't talk about Orion, but they talk about the maker of the stars, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created. And God, God loves the world. In fact, I would go so far as to say, God um, not only created the world, Genesis 1.31 says um, that after he said the whole world was good, then he made humankind and he said, very good. It was very good after he made humankind. So I know God loves the whole world, but he especially loves people. In fact, I, I may be wrong about this, but I think God loves people more than we do. I'm always a little convicted when I read about the Grinch whose heart was about one size too small because my heart can be like that. It, it can be too small. And for all of our poetic language about loving the world, Calvin Miller once said, you know, it's kind of strange that we talk about loving the world while we permit ourselves our animosities within our immediate world. Because world love is kind of a philosophical credo, but loving the world at large, the only way you can love the whole world is by loving face to face the world that's not so distant. It's kind of crazy to talk about loving humanity if you can't stand people. Because the people are the world that God loves. And he so loved the world that he gave. Remember I said last week the characteristic action of love is giving and God gives his son to everyone who will receive his son. And those who receive his son, here's good news, God doesn't want to condemn the world. 
So we spend a lot of time talking about how bad the world is and saying, well, this is what's wrong with the world and this is what's wrong with the world. God didn't send his son to point his finger at the world and say, look how bad the world is. He sent his son with one mission to save the world. And he included us in that mission. So when we think about the nations of the world, God loves them all and he wants all of them to come to know him. And what if we became the change that we're waiting for in the world? What if the surest confirmation of the incarnation of Christ is the transformation of his people so that our lives become congruent with the God who so loves the world? So maybe the way the world will know that we are gods, Jesus said, is if we love one another, if we love our enemies, if we love our enemies so much, we turn them into friends. Maybe the answer is God didn't love us because we were lovely, but he makes us lovely by loving us. And if we learn to love as he loves, if we could become congruent, geometry here, congruent with the God who loves the world, what in the world is God trying to do to the world? He's trying to save it. That's why he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And when Jesus came into the world, if you read the Gospel of John, just starting with the first chapter, I read through it this week and I encourage you to do the same this season. Don't just read John three sixteen, but in John chapter one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And this word was the very one who created all things. Chapter one, verse three says, he made it all. God loves the world that he made. Now, I love the world. There are a lot of things I love about the world. If you ask me, if you could just go one place, pastor, where would you go? I, I've said this to my family. They already know the answer to this. I would go to St. Mary's Falls in, in Glacier Park um, up in Montana. Now, the thing is, it would be really hard to get there right now because going to the Sun Highway gets closed early and it won't reopen until July, but it gets closed by the snowfall. But there is a waterfall there that is sensational. I mean, the water plummets hundreds of feet. And uh, the first time I ever saw it, there were these deer standing there by the water brook. I mean, I'm, you know, just like thinking scripture in my head and I'm looking at the deer and the water and it plummets hundreds of feet down into this azure blue pool. And there's this white foaming water that comes up and it's like, I'm standing underneath the waterfall. This is one of those beautiful places. And ever since then, if I ever get a chance to see a waterfall, I go. So we went to Victoria Falls. I'm going back to Africa this summer going back to Zambia, to Northrise University. And while we were there, saw Victoria Falls. Chase and I are standing there just getting covered in the spray of this waterfall. And they say it's the biggest waterfall in the world. And then we went to Niagara Falls earlier this year. And that was just amazing. And I hear down in South America, I guess this is my next stop, they have Iguazu Falls. And they say that's bigger than Victoria Falls. But the people in Africa say Victoria Falls is bigger. And I don't know which one's bigger. But I'll tell you what I think about the waterfalls. When God made them, I think he was showing off he was just showing off, making the world beautiful. But when the Bible says God so loved the world, what's interesting is that the word cosmos in John is not a universally positive word. In fact, in John chapter 7, 7, Jesus says the world hates me. Um, he, he later says uh, in this world, you will have tribulation. I remember a sermon at a conference years ago when the pastor uh, Frederick Sampson said, when God gives us tribulation, he expects us to tribulate. 
Well, I don't know about that, but I know in the world we have tribulation. But Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So what is the world that God loves? Well, again, in John chapter one, verse nine, it says the light is coming into the world. Uh, and he came into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And in verse 11, it says he came to his own and his own knew him not. Not talking about landforms here. He's talking about people and they were waiting for the Messiah and the Messiah came and they didn't recognize the Messiah. They didn't know him when he came, but to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. To become the children of God signifies a transformation. We are the change that God wants to make in the world. And it happens through faith in Christ. And he comes into the world. He makes the world. He comes into the world. This is the incarnation. And in this coming into the world, he is doing this because he loves the world, even though the world does not love him. So verse 17 says he doesn't want to condemn the world. And you think about the people that Jesus came to. It comes to Nicodemus at night and Nicodemus in this chapter three. Um, we find out later he's a crypto Christian. He's a kind of scary sound and he's a secret disciple of Jesus because he's afraid of what people will think if he comes out publicly as a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus loves him. God so loved the world. He loves the Samaritan woman at the well. He loves John chapter eight, the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. You ever wonder what would happen if God caught you in the very act of sin? I mean, if you were in the palm of God's hand and he caught you in your very worst moment, what would he do? Well, we see it in that passage. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. So God loves, and we have these sort of categories of people. You know what I'm saying? We have these kind of categories of people and it's hard for us to understand how much God loves us. But I'll tell you, I'm just gonna settle the waterfall debate today. Bigger than Iguazu, bigger than Niagara, bigger than Victoria Falls is the waterfall of God's mercy that flows to us through the cross of Jesus Christ cleansing us from our sins and making us into the children of God. There's no waterfall anywhere better than that waterfall. And the hardest thing G.K. Chesterton said for us to believe is that people matter. That people matter to God. You matter. I matter. How do we know that? Because God so loved the world that he came into the world. I remember that group Point of Grace that came out of Washita years ago and they used to sing this song. God loves people more than anything. God loves people more than anything. And more than anything, he wants us to know he'd rather die than let us go. God loves people more than anything. So Jesus came into the world because he loves. And so God sends his son. But that's not the rest. That's not the end of the story, because later he sends his Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And the spirit sends us and sends us into all the world. And so just as God loves the world, he calls us to be lovers of the world. Again, Calvin Miller, years ago, I remember a sermon he wrote. Um, and the title of the sermon based on the Absalom story was the uh, evangelist as rebel-lover, as lover of rebels. The person who really has good news for the world is the one who loves rebels. And in truth, the word world, cosmos, in the Gospel of John often speaks of the, the world organized in rebellion against God. And that's the world that God loves so much that he sent his son 
And of course, we don't love sin. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, somebody will quote to me, love not the world nor the things in the world. Um, what are the things we're not supposed to love? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the prideful boasting of life and what we have and what we do. Don't brag about those things, he says. We're not, we're not in love with the sinfulness of the world. Don't misunderstand me. We don't love sin, but we do love sinners. And we love sinners because God loves us and there aren't categories of sinners as though there were some group of people who just can't be loved by God. No, God loves everyone. If he can love you and me, he loves everyone. I went to that funeral this week for Warren Barfield. What an amazing young man he was. 13 years old, lover of God, preacher of the gospel, Pastor Greg Mott, fantastic job sharing his story and said, I'm not going to preach today. I'm going to let Warren preach to you. Eighth grader, let's let him preach to you. And he shows in, in the Warren's Bible places where Warren circled different scripture verses. And he shows a sermon where uh, he shared a sermon where Warren said, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And then from Warren's journal, this is unforgettable. He talks about the day he became a Christian and says, anybody can receive Jesus Christ as Savior. That's good news. Anybody can. You and I can. This is the truth that we have come to believe. And that's why we believe God loved us. And that's why we love people. That's why we love all people. There, there are no people you know that God doesn't love. There are no people that we can afford to say, well, we'll be selected. Look, God's love is limitless. So how can our love be limited when his love is limitless and we're trying to be congruent with him and his spirit is transforming us to the image of his son and his son so loved the world. Shouldn't we love the world? Shouldn't we love the people in our world? And so we, we say, well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, love, I love people. Well, yeah, God loves, God loves the whole world. So if you say to me, well, I, I just think, and people say this to me sometimes, you know, there's so much need in Houston. We should just do all our work right here in Houston. And if you love Houston, hey, I'm right with you. I love this city. I wake up every morning loving this city. When I fly over this city and I see all the lights at night when I'm on a plane, I always say, Lord, Lord, you're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. And Lord, give us this city. Give your people in, the, in this city, all the people in the city. Let them all come to you. And if you want to love this city, that's great. I have a student named Molly Week. Some of you know her. She's uh, in my homiletics class. And uh, this week she was preaching to us, proclaiming the truth. And, and as she was teaching us from the Bible, she said um, that one day, because she was on the soccer team at Houston Baptist, they gave her a foot long uh, from Subway. And uh, she had already eaten that day. And so she prayed and said, God, what do you want me to do with this? Which is a great thing to do with sandwiches and with your life. God, what do you want me to do with this? And she said, God said to me, give it to somebody who's hungry. So she gets in her car and she says, I'm a girl. These are her words. I'm a girl. And I don't usually go around driving in unsafe places, but I just decided God told me to do it. And I was trusting in him. And she said, I started looking for hungry people. Sometimes it's hard to find the hungry people. They're out there because the statistics say they're out there, but she couldn't find them. And finally she drives down an alley and she sees this group of people huddled together and she walks over and she meets snow. Some of you may have met snow. I bet some of our HBU kids have met snow. Snow looked kind of pale, young woman living on the street fearful. She's been hurt before on the street. And she was so hungry that day and she received that bread. And then Molly entered into a friendship with her whereby she told her the good news about Jesus. And Molly received the bread of life. And every time 
uh, and every time Snow sees Molly now, Snow received the bread of life, she says, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to live with the Lord someday. And I was just saying to her, hey, there is Grace Wood. <laughs> Let's find a place for Snow. I know she's going to be in heaven someday. I think we can find her a house here. I think God's people working together can care for the needs of the people in this city. So you want to love Houston? Hey, I'm all in with loving Houston. But, and by the way, if you love Houston, you are loving the world because the world has come to Houston. Amen. And the world that God loves has moved into our city and we get a chance to love them up close and personal. And that's awesome. I'm glad he brought me to this city. I'm glad he brought you to this city. It's his city. Let's, let's accept God's welcome and be loved by him. But I also want to say to you that there is after all a great commission and he says, make disciples of all the nations and go into all the world. And, and by the way, if the disciples had stayed in Jerusalem, we wouldn't be here today. But forced out by persecution, in some cases, they went out and ended up in Antioch and started telling Gentiles. And, and most of us are Gentiles. And, and that's how the Gentiles became Christians. And that is all the work of God. And so I love the people who have a heart for the nations, because I'll tell you, God has a heart for the nations. We see it in the book of Isaiah. Just a, a couple of examples there where God says, come to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. They say Spurgeon preached that. Uh, he was just doing a sound check in a room and the custodian became a Christian when he heard him say that, come to me all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49 verse six says, it's too small a thing. Your vision is too small if you just love your people, whoever you think your people are. Because God says, that'd be a too small, of, I'm a big God and I want the Gentiles I want the Gentiles to know so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And if you're in Jerusalem right now, Houston is kind of the ends of the earth and it's made it all the way here. So let's not stop it here. It's kind of like a, the wave in, a, in a, a football game. Let's not stop it. Let's keep it going. The gospel came to us. Let's share that gospel with other people. And I know it may seem like, well, what, what difference can a person, one person make in the world? Yeah, well, a huge difference. Great example, another of my students this week was telling us the story of um, Philadelphia and there was a little girl who was walking away from a church on a Sunday morning, unkempt, disheveled, crying because there wasn't room in the Sunday school class for her and she runs right into the pastor, Russell Conwell. True story, checked it on Snopes, just so you know. And he runs into her and he says, hey, what's wrong? Well, there wasn't room. There wasn't a chair for me in the Sunday school classroom. He turns her around, finds a chair for her. She goes to Sunday school and he befriends the family, gets to know them. A couple years later, she gets very sick and she dies. And the family asks her, asks him to do the funeral for her. And they bring a note from her and her little purse and it's got 57 cents in it. And she says, I want to, to raise enough money to build a building big enough for the children of Philadelphia to come to Sunday school and learn about Jesus. Pastor tells the story to the people. They get out their pocketbooks. Um, they want to buy some land. And so there's a guy who says, I'll make some land available. He heard about it in the newspaper. I'll make some land available to you for $250. They said, we don't have $250. They said, he said, well, then I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. And they built a children's building. If you go to Philadelphia today, if you're there on business or, or on vacation, find Temple Baptist Church. That's the church. Their worship center now seats 3,300 people. And that wasn't all of it. Then they built uh, Temple College, which became Temple University, which founded Good Samaritan Hospital, which became Temple University Hospital. And it all started with a little girl who had 57 cents 
and who gave her life to Christ. And I was wondering what would happen if all of us said, God, you so love that you gave. Now, Lord, here we'll give our lives to you in gratitude. Then we, we wouldn't be waiting on the world to change. We'd be working to become the change that the world is waiting on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that you found a way to find us. And today, Lord, we pray that we would not lose sight of your great gift. And Lord, however you have to enlarge our hearts so that we love the world like you do, I pray that you do that. I pray, Lord, if there is any hatred, any any venom, any vitriol within us against any group of people, that you'd remove that in Jesus' name. And you would teach us to love the way that we have been loved in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer, our fervent prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.